Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Tracy. Uh, thank you for leading us. Wonderful words of those hymns. Uh, that last one, light of the world, you step down into darkness. Uh, Soren, the missions moment hit me like a cannonball. Hey? It probably did to some of you as well. Um, as a husband, as a father of four girls, as a grandfather of little girls, that really hits hard. And I just want to acknowledge that right up front. It may have hit all of us that way, but let's focus in on Jesus because Jesus is the answer to these things. As difficult as those things are to hear, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the answer. We're going to be looking at a young man named Stephen who is martyred for his faith, the first Christian martyr. And here we see that this kind of thing, this kind of persecution still takes place today. Just violent, terrible things take place even yet today. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ faithfully. Um, with that, um, let me say something else too. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Thankful for each of our moms. Thankful for my mom. None of us would be here without our moms. We know that. We can be thankful that our moms chose life. Hey, our moms chose life. I have something else here I want to share with you. This is from Robert and Josie and Sonia and Obi. Um, this is a few weeks back, or a couple of months back. But... Um, just a brief note from them. North Valley Bible Church, we miss you all dearly. We have been keeping you all in our prayers. We pray for time in God's Word for each individual member, for peace and joy. We pray for growth and for strengthening and unity. We are doing well and staying healthy. Sonia is learning more and more words every day. And Oberyn is on his way to walking. I think he's already walking almost now. I think he's beginning to do that. Yeah. Robert and I are becoming members of our new church next month and are excited to get back into ministry. We love and miss you all. I talked to Robert just briefly on Friday. They are doing well. This uh, coronavirus has had them shut down, though, as a church. Hopefully, maybe soon they'll be opening back up. Maybe the 17th, I think, was their plan. Um, okay, with all of that, let me go to a word of prayer. Let me open with prayer, and we'll begin. Uh, Acts 7 51 through 60 is where we're going to be. And Lord willing, we'll just turn briefly to Matthew and maybe to Daniel chapter 7 along the way later in the message, okay? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for our moms, Lord. And um, thank you for how they love us with a Christ-like love, a sacrificial love, Father. I ask that you bless the moms that are here today. Bless our time in your word. Help us to focus on Jesus today. We have our completeness in Him as we were reminded in Sunday school this morning. Help us to see His perfections, His position, and His power today. And it's in His name I pray. Amen. Acts 7, 51-60, I titled this message, The Words of a Faithful Witness. The Words of a Faithful Witness. And I mentioned, and you guys probably already know this, Stephen isn't a martyr because he was murdered. He was murdered because he was a martyr. We know the Greek word martyr is the same word we have for witness, and we've that's been adopted now, so anyone that is killed for their faith is called a martyr. But Stephen was martyred because he was an effective, a powerful witness. It began when he was called as a... It began before that. Stephen came to faith at some point in time, right? Uh, and, and after coming to faith, he was, he was recognized in the church body as a man that was full of, full of grace and full of faith. 
And um, the church was asked to look for, for seven men that could attend to some, to some matter in the body. It was to take care of uh, some widows and the distribution of food. And there was probably some monies involved with that and some other things. And Stephen was a faithful minister in that way. And when he ministered in that way, he was witnessing. He was testifying to Christ in that ministry. He didn't have to do that with words. He did it in actions. But he also witnessed to Christ with words. And that's what we have in Acts chapter 7. This wonderful testimony of Jesus that Stephen lays out uh, in Acts chapter 7 here. And so we're going to get to that. But many, many words are spoken by a lot of people. Hey, We got so many words coming our way. Patrick was mentioning this this morning. There is so much stuff we've got to and this is my words to what he was saying, there's so much stuff we have to filter through and make sure that we're not getting off track with the Lord. I can't go to the right. Howard says I have to go to the left um, to stay in that camera. But there's so many words that come our way, and even more so than when, when I was a kid, what'd you have? You had radio and you had TV occasionally, and it went off at 11 o'clock or 11.30 or midnight at night, right? It wasn't on all day. And on Sundays, most businesses were closed, but now it's constant advertisement, constant YouTube, constant Google searches, constant, constant, constant words. And a lot of them are of no value for the Christian life. And books, how many books have been written? I looked this up a few months back and I mentioned it to you and I didn't look it up again and I can't remember. But the number of books that are written, new books written just in the United States, I've given you a Google search and I'm saying that we need to avoid some of that maybe, but the number of books that are written is phenomenal. New books. And, you know, King Solomon, he writes about that as he's coming to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes and he's kind of finishing up all he has to say. He says, of the making of many books, there is no end. Of the making of many books, there is no end. Apparently, he was right. People just keep writing new books and new books and new books. And much study wearies the body. And much study wearies the body. We've got a lot of words coming our way. And with all of those words and all those books and all those things, it, it, it tells us that everybody is preaching something at us. Everybody is preaching something. You've maybe, maybe you've heard people say that. Everybody preaches something. I'm sure you've heard me say that. Everybody preaches something. If you're, if you're witnessing to someone and someone says, hey, I don't like that preaching to me, or you're preaching to me every day. You know? <laughs> I listen to your music. I listen to your lingo. I listen to all the things you say. You're preaching. Everybody's preaching something. It's true. And in some way, we all tend to proclaim our worldview. In some way, all of us tend to proclaim our, this is my worldview. I'm proclaiming my worldview. If you don't think that's true, just let me ask you a question with regard to current events. Mask or no mask? Just let that settle a little bit. Mask or no mask? Everybody is proclaiming their worldview in some way, shape, or form. Even, even if you decide, I'm going to be silent about things, you're proclaiming your worldview. I was thinking of that song from the 50s. I don't know who sings it. You talk too much, you worry me to death. You just talk, talk, talk. You talk too much. There's just all these words that come our way. 
someone that would like silence would be preaching that. I don't like everyone preaching at me. I don't like everyone talking so much. Everyone talks too much. We all tend to proclaim our world view. And even in death, people on their deathbeds, and we've, we've talked about these things before. Everyone's looked at this. There's all these anecdotal things of people on their deathbeds saying these things. I don't know if it was Marx or Lenin or one of those communist guys was, was an atheist, hated God, and he shook his fist at God as he was dying. I forget which one of those guys it was. And, and, and some uh, prominent guys that were anti-God, and I'm trying to think of one I can't think of right now, but it doesn't matter. Because with all of those, they shake their fist at God and maybe on their deathbed they say, you know what, I still don't believe. Whatever, it doesn't make any difference because guess what? One day, everyone, everyone is going to give an account to God. Everyone's going to stand before Jesus. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it doesn't matter your worldview. It makes no difference. When you stand before the God of all creation, your worldview, if it doesn't line up with His, isn't going to make a pinch salt of difference before Him. No difference whatsoever. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. If our worldview doesn't line up with His worldview, guess who's right and guess who's wrong? He's right and we're wrong every time, every time. And then I thought about this. I thought about Jesus' worldview. Jesus' worldview on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What kind of worldview is that? It is finished. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came on a rescue mission. He came to save us. He came to save us. What a worldview Jesus has, hey? To give testimony of Jesus, then, would impart life, wouldn't it? To give testimony of Jesus imparts life. In fact, Jesus says in John 6.63, the Spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. To testify, to give witness to, to to give testimony of Jesus imparts life. Now, why is that important for what we're looking at today? Because the church has a message. The church has a message, and it's an unchanging message. Here we're looking at Stephen stoned for being this powerful witness, giving testimony to Jesus 2,000 years ago, but the message is unchanging. It's an unchanging message. It is a message for the whole world. It does not matter nationality. It does not matter ethnicity. It doesn't matter personality. It doesn't matter position, whether a pauper, pauper, a prince, a president, it makes no difference. Position, it makes no difference. Religious background, doesn't matter if you were raised in this religious background or that religious background or that religious background. The message the church has is for everyone. It's an unchanging message. The church exists to tell the story of Jesus Christ. That's what the church exists to do, to tell the story of Jesus Christ. And so my statement 
today that I wanted to proclaim to you, and I decided I had to change it, but I'm going to share with you what it was at the beginning. It was this. A Christian is someone who preaches Christ. A Christian is someone who preaches Christ. But I thought, wait a second. I can't really say that because that's not true all the time, is it? I'm a Christian. Do I always proclaim Him? To say a Christian is someone who proclaims Christ isn't true 100% of the time. So I had to change it to this. A faithful witness, a faithful witness proclaims Christ. And that's what I see in Stephen. A faithful witness who proclaims Christ. Stephen has preached a powerful message in verses 2 through verse 50. A powerful message. Cindy, I need to borrow your bulletin for a second. Just this part of it. There we go. It's a short verse. I couldn't remember it. <laughs> um, he's preached a powerful message. I'm going to get to this verse in a second. He's talked about Abraham. Abraham is what? I asked you last week, what is Abraham known for? And everyone responded, his faith, right? He's the man of faith. He believed God. He believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. Wow, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. And then, and then uh, Stephen speaks about Joseph. I'm just reviewing all the people that he speaks about here, okay? In brief, in summary. It'll be short. Joseph. He speaks about Joseph. The, and, and Joseph is the one that God set apart to save many souls alive. You'll remember that when Joseph uh, was, uh, maybe you won't remember, so I'll remind you if you don't. <laughs> Joseph had his brothers. There were the 12 patriarchs. Joseph was one of them, right? And, and, and Joseph's brothers don't like Joseph because he's daddy's favorite and he's got the coat of many colors. They hate him. And then he has this dream. I I saw you guys all bowing down to me, basically, and then the sun, moon, and stars bowed down to me. Even mom and dad bowed down to me. They don't like that. And they decide they want to get rid of this guy, this dreamer they call him, because they don't like him. He's the favorite. And what do they do? They think, hey, we'll kill him. Reuben says, ah, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. He protects him a little bit. Uh, so they throw him down a pit, and he's still alive there. Then some camel traders come by or something, and then he's sold into slavery into Egypt by his own brothers. Wow, right? And then he's in Egypt, and he's purchased by Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to do something with her. He never did. And then he ends up in prison, and then he ends up out of prison, and then he ends up in control of all of Egypt, really, right? He's the second banana in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gives him all this prominence. And then his brothers and his dad are still up there in, in, in the area of uh, Canaan, and they decide, hey, there's a famine here. We're going to go down to Egypt and get some food. He sends his sons down there to get food. And the first time they see Joseph, they don't recognize him. The second time, they do recognize him for who he is, and they're terrified, and they're saying, oh, my goodness, what's Joseph going to do to us? Paraphrasing big time. And what does Joseph say? Don't worry about it. You intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. God intended it for good. And then Stephen speaks about Moses. And what is Moses known for? Humility, right? There was no one on earth more humble than Moses. He was known for his humility. 
He led the people out of bondage into the promised land, although he himself wasn't able to go in. And just prior to his death, he calls the leader, the elders, and the officers, and all the people, the whole assembly of Israel together, and he says this. That's what I needed this for, but I wrote it out here. I stole this for nothing, Cindy. Deuteronomy 32.3, he says this wonderful thing. He says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. This is Moses' song before he hands the mantle over to Joshua to lead the people into the land. Before Moses is off the scene, this is his words to the people. And that's not all he says. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to. In Deuteronomy 32, you can if you'd like. I didn't say we were turning there, but I'm going to turn there. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 1 through 4, he says this. He says, Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, as the showers on the herb. What is he saying? I'm going to say something, and I'm asking that what I say would just soak on in. That's what he's saying. I want my words to soak right into the people. I want it to soak in like dew, like rain on the herbs. You guys have seen dew on grass, right? You walk across dew with your socks, what happens? Your socks get soaked. That's what he wants his words to do. And then he says this, for I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. I think that's what Stephen is doing. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. Ascribe greatness to our God. He relays their history to them with regard to God's dealings with them and how great God was throughout their history. And Moses goes on to say in verse 4, so that's the theme of his song that he's going to sing, Moses. And then his message is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and, with, and without injustice, righteous and upright, is he now why would i take us there from the book of acts i want to show that to you acts chapter 7 why did i take us all the way to moses and talk about moses and talk about what moses had to say and why am i relaying this to what stephen has to say because look what stephen says in verse 52 of acts chapter 7 which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute they killed those who had previously announced the coming of who the righteous one the righteous one. Stephen sets Jesus above everyone else. He says, you stiff-necked men of uncircumcised heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And then he, who does he put before them? The righteous one. Jesus, the righteous one. He's proclaiming the perfections of Christ to them. He's proclaiming Jesus' perfections. So he's spoken to them about Abraham and, and Joseph and Moses and Joshua who led the people into the promised land. And, and Joshua at the end of his life said, serve the Lord. Right at the close of his life, he was telling the people to serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then, to then you choose this day whom it is you will serve. That's what Joshua says to them. But as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua's words to the people. And then David, David who's a man after God's own heart, and, and they know that. 
These guys know that when Stephen takes them and speaks about David, he's the man after God's own heart. But they are the men who are what? Of uncircumcised hearts. Uncircumcised in heart. That's them. And then he takes them to Solomon. Solomon, this man who is known for his what? What did he ask God for? Wisdom. So you got Abraham, the man of faith. Moses, the man of great humility. Solomon, this man of great wisdom. David, the man after God's own heart. And Solomon, with all this wisdom, is going to build this house for the Lord. He constructed the temple, but he understood and he stated in his prayer of dedication of the temple, when he goes to dedicate the temple that's been built, which was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. In fact, when they built the second temple, they were weeping because it didn't compare to Solomon's temple because Solomon's temple was amazing. It was amazing. Would love to have seen that. But what does Solomon say at the dedication of that temple? But will God really dwell on earth? That's what he says. The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. So when Stephen says to these guys in verse 49 of chapter 7, speaking of uh, God, heaven is my throne and the earth is my foot, is, is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? Stephen's saying to them, you're putting too much faith in the temple. God doesn't dwell there. His name is there. If people were to pray toward that temple, his name was there. But he didn't dwell there. You can't contain God. He's uncontainable. That's what Stephen is saying to them. And he goes into this in verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised and are this powerful words to them. He's traced the history. He's tracing the work of God throughout their history. And what he's going to say in these verses that we're looking at today, 51 through 60, the close of chapter 7, what he's going to say is pointing all that to Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's pointing all of that. He's pointing their entire history to this one, Jesus. So he's bringing this, his message to a conclusion. And we're, we're reading the last words of a faithful servant, and they're all about Jesus. A faithful witness, a faithful witness proclaims Christ. So he preaches Christ's perfections, verses 51 through 54. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one who betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who have received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. He's proclaiming he is preaching the perfection of Christ. And he's doing it in two ways. He's doing it by contrast, and he's doing it by conviction. They're under conviction. He's preaching the perfection of Christ by contrast, and I've already touched on that a little bit. He's also declaring Christ's deity when he says, you who have foretold the coming of the righteous one whom you have now murdered, the righteous one. That is, that is God. Only God is good. Only God is righteous. He's proclaiming the deity, the perfection of Christ. They're not misunderstanding what he's saying. They have no misconceptions. He's saying Jesus is God.
Patrick said it this morning in Sunday school, God put himself on display in the person of Jesus Christ. God put himself on display in the person of Jesus Christ. So by contrast, between themselves and Jesus, he's proclaiming the perfections of Christ. When he says, you are just like your fathers, you're always resisting who are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Just stop for a second there. I would want to make a statement with regard to that. You always resist the Holy Spirit, just like your fathers. Resisting the Holy Spirit can be a generational thing. It can be a generational thing. Handed down from parent to child, the child grows up, has kids of their own, Resisting the Holy Spirit and to, to give into the Holy Spirit, to believe on Jesus can stop that generational thing just in one generation. One generation. One. It takes one person to come to faith in Christ. One. Sometimes a little kid gets saved and then mom and dad gets saved and then a whole family gets saved. One generation can change it all. Stopping that resistance can happen in a single generation. But he's saying to them, you're not like Abraham, the man of faith. You're not like Joseph, who saw all of, all of uh, the circumstances of his life as ordained by the careful hand of God. He, he wasn't bitter in any way. He says, you're not like Joseph. You're not like Moses, who was known for his humility. You're not like Joshua. You're not like David. You're not like Solomon. You're stiff-necked, unlike Joseph who saw God's hand in the details of his life. Unlike, unlike Moses who chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather, to enjoy, rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin considering the approach of Christ of greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. That's out of Hebrews chapter 11, 20, 21 maybe. Um, he says you're uncircum you have uncircumcised hearts, unlike David, who was a man after God's own own heart, uncircumcised ears, unlike Abraham, who heard and listened. He heard and believed God. They had uncircumcised ears. You're not like any of these guys. You're like those who were opposed to them. You're not like Joshua, because you always resist the Holy Spirit. Joshua was the one who said, As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. And they persecuted the prophets instead of listening to them. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 5.12. And they, they killed those, their fathers killed those, the prophets who previously announced the coming of the righteous one. You have betrayed, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. I don't get into the Greek too often, but I got interested in this word betrayers. And it means reckless, high-minded, conceited, puffed, up. And he says, you're betrayers. That's what he's saying to them. No wonder they are cut to the quick. He's not holding back at all. He's letting them know where they stand. Now, I'd like to see his perfect, Christ's perfections in contrast with these guys. See Christ's per perfections by contrast. Compare Christ to Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was what? Credited him as righteousness. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. He didn't need any righteous credit to him because he's just righteous. He is righteous all the time. Always good. 
Compare Christ to Joseph, the one who God selected, the one whom God selected was the one the patriarchs, patriarchs rejected. There's some parallels here. Joseph, like Jesus, was not recognized by his brothers when they first came to visit him. But he will be recognized. Joseph, like Jesus, Joseph was recognized the second time. Jesus will be recognized by his brothers the second time as well. There's parallels here that are just wonderful to think about. Jesus came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. And Joseph, again, was the one that says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, so that many souls would be saved alive. And Jesus, Peter writes of Jesus in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, for what? To bring you to God. There's parallels here between Joseph and Jesus. Compare Jesus to Moses, the man marked by humility. What does it say of Jesus in Philippians 2.9, I think it is. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Maybe that's 2.11. I forget which verse it is. It might be 2.10. And Moses also was rejected by the people the first time. When he, when he, he's 40 years old, he's told he's going to, uh, he gets interest in his people and he thinks he's going to deliver his people and there's two guys fighting. No, there's not two guys fighting. There's an Egyptian beating up on, on, on an Israelite and he kills the Egyptian. He thinks he's going to rescue the Israelite, right? And then the next day he goes back and he sees uh, two uh, Israelites fighting and he goes to speak to them and they say, hey, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? Who made you ruler and judge? There's parallels with regard to that in Jesus as well, isn't there? They didn't want Jesus to be the ruler and judge. And they didn't recognize Moses when he first came, but the second time he came and he led them out of bondage. When Jesus comes a second time, he's going to lead the people of Israel out of the bondage they're in currently. Uh, through Moses, the nation received the law, but they couldn't keep it. That's what he says. You received the law as ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. Jesus fulfilled the law. Moses received it. Jesus fulfilled it. And it's Moses who said at the, end, at the end of his life or near the close of his life, God will send you a prophet just like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he says. And here comes Jesus on the scene. So just by contrast, in comparison maybe, you can see that Jesus is, you can see the perfection of Christ. Stephen is proclaiming the perfection of Christ when he says, when he speaks of Jesus as the coming of the righteous one. And then by conviction, he's proclaiming the perfection of Christ by conviction. What's conviction? If you, I had to look in a dictionary. Conviction, just a dictionary definition, a formal declaration of someone, a formal declaration that someone is guilty, right? That's conviction. The formal declaration of guilt. You're guilty. That's conviction. I think Stephen proclaims the perfections of Christ to these guys by the conviction that comes on them. I believe these men are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom they are resisting has through Stephen set before them their own lack of righteousness just as Stephen says to them, that Jesus is the righteous one. 
You know, the word of God is like holding a mirror up to your soul. I can remember, it's still that way today, but I remember it vividly happening to me when I began in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as I just started reading the first few chapters of the Bible, it was like holding a mirror up to my soul. I'd never heard anyone say that, but I could have told you that's what it was like for me. That's what it's like. The Word of God is like that. It just, it just lays us open and bare. And what I saw when I looked into that mirror to my soul wasn't very pretty. What I saw was a whole bunch of yuck. That's what these guys are seeing. Stephen is proclaiming Scripture to them. He's proclaiming truth to them. And it's like holding a mirror up to their soul. And they don't like it. It's getting very uncomfortable. They're under conviction. Jesus himself said the verdict is in. In John 3.19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because why? Because their deeds are evil. These men don't hate the light. They don't hate Jesus. They don't hate Stephen because they got some reason to, because they're more religious or, or some other thing. They hate because their deeds are evil. I don't think we've got to jump through a bunch of theological hurdles and think, well, what if this and what if that? Look, their deeds are evil. It's pretty plain. They don't like what's being proclaimed. They don't like this idea that Jesus is the righteous one. They are not going to come into that light because their deeds are evil. What is that? Sin. Sin. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come after He was raised and He would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, of sin because they don't, do not believe in Me. It would be the sin of unbelief, of righteousness, because I go to the Father. In other words, I came down from heaven and I'm returning to heaven. I'm convicting the world of righteousness because I am the righteous one and the world can see it. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. If the ruler of this world is judged, that means there's a judgment day coming, right? And if he's judged, then all of us are going to stand judged before the judge of the world. So in John 3, 19, Jesus says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In John three twenty, he says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Look, looking at these guys here, these religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, it's not a complicated formula. The reason they don't like what Stephen's saying, the reason they won't come to faith in Christ, the reason they're resisting the Holy Spirit is because their deeds are evil. They're full of sin. It doesn't matter. I began this. We have a message. The message is unchanged. It does not matter nationality, ethnicity, personality, position, or religious background. The message is unchanged. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In John 7, 7, Jesus says, The world hates me because I testify that, it, that what it does is evil. He doesn't say the world hates me because they haven't figured out the theological formula yet. 
the world hates me because its deeds are evil. And why is that? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect. Stephen is proclaiming his perfections, the righteous one. When it comes to us, there is none righteous. No, not one. He's the righteous one. Take all your righteousness, put it in a box, and what do you got a box of? Filthy rags. That's what you got a box of. Take all your righteousness apart from Christ, put it in a box. That was meant to be loud, I guess. Put it in a box, and what do you got in that box? A box of filthy rags. That's all it amounts to. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. Stephen is proclaiming the perfections of Christ to sinners. And sinners need to hear it. Jesus is the perfect one. We're not. These are the the last words of a faithful witness. And and we're privileged to look look at them. In verse 55 and 56, Stephen's words send them over the top as he proclaims Christ's position. He proclaims Christ's position. But being there, now here they are. And when they heard this, they were, verse 54, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. I actually had someone do this to me once. I always wondered about this gnashing of their teeth, what exactly it looked like, and I had ideas about it. But Rick and I went to an event here in Utah, and there was a lady gnashing her teeth at me. <laughs> it was different. That's what they're doing. They're gnashing their teeth at him. But he, then he goes on to proclaim Christ's position. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. And this is Luke's commentary. So Luke doesn't want us to miss this. Luke gives commentary. And then he allows Stephen, he quotes what Stephen says. Luke doesn't want us to miss this. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Apparently Luke wants us to get the picture here of what Stephen sees in this moment. He sees Christ in his exalted position. And, and this, is, this is going to get them to pick up stones. This is going to get them to plug their ears and chase Stephen out of there, out of this outside the city, and they're going to stone him. Because they told men to go make the tomb secure, right? They said, this man said he might raise, rise again on the third day. And now Stephen is claiming to be able to see him alive and exalted at the right hand of God, the highest exalted position possible. He's affirming his bodily resurrection and ascension, and that is no small thing. While they are there filled with rage, Stephen is just there full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen's message began with the glory of God, and now he sees the God of glory. Or he began with the God of glory, rather, and now he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's affirming Christ is alive. He rose from the dead and has ascended into heaven. And with regard to this position, it speaks of his jurisdiction. Jesus himself says what? Matthew 28, 28, 28. Therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority has been given to me. He's saying that to his disciples. And his disciples take that in. Now Stephen is proclaiming that to his enemies, that all jurisdiction belongs to Jesus. All authority belongs to Jesus. You men of the Sanhedrin, you think you got authority? You haven't seen anyone with authority like Jesus. He's proclaiming Christ to them in His exalted position. You've seen nothing like Jesus. Matthew 26. So we go to Matthew. Let's do that now. Matthew 26. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether or not you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And here is Stephen, a few years later, saying to this same group of men, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And what, is it, what does it say the high priest did? Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed blasphemed what further need do we have of witnesses behold you have now heard the blasphemy what do you think they answered he deserves death here's this same group of men the sanhedrin they're hearing stephen saying behold i see the heaven open and the son of man standing at the right hand of god guess what he's proclaiming to them jesus has authority over you guys This idea of the Son of Man would would remind them of Daniel chapter 7 as well. Daniel chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it for you. 13 and 14. Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I've seen one like the Son of Man. These guys know that language. I think other than in the Gospels, when Jesus uses this term, the Son of Man, for himself, I don't think it's used anywhere else in the New Testament other than Stephen saying it right here. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. They're not missing what he's saying. He's proclaiming Christ's exalted position and His jurisdiction over them, His authority over them. And so what happens? Verse 57 and 58, But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears. He just told them, You guys have uncircumcised ears. What do they do? We can't hear this. And they rush, they block their own ears. And they rush at Him with one impulse. 
When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid, there's the word witnesses, this is the same root word there as martyr, but anyhow, the witnesses, those who were watching this happen, laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul's never going to forget this. Saul's going to become the Apostle Paul. He's going to set the world on fire with the Gospel. That conviction that I talked about, that conviction, Saul's going to carry that conviction with him for a while, eh? What else does he proclaim? He proclaims, Stephen is proclaiming Christ's perfections, his exalted position, and he proclaims his power. With his last words, Stephen, Stephen is proclaiming Christ's power. And I'm saying to you, a faithful witness proclaims him. A faithful witness proclaims Christ. As, Steve, as Stephen lays down his life, what does he say? Verse 59 and 60. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord, as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He wanted them to hear that. And having said this, he fell asleep. These two verses proclaim to me the power of Christ. The power of Christ in Stephen's life and beyond that as well. Stephen is praying to who? He's praying to Jesus. He's praying to Jesus. Jesus can hear and answer prayer. And he's there to receive his spirit. He's able to receive Stephen's spirit. And he's able to forgive sin. Do not hold this sin against them. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. When Jesus in his earthly ministry um, um, told someone, your son, your sins are forgiven, they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And he said, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He asked, which is harder, to forgive sin or to heal this man? He, he, he just heals the man there. So that they might know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. The authority to forgive sin. Their question was right. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus was God incarnate. And he's able to resurrect the body of Stephen as well because it says he fell asleep. It doesn't say he died. It says he fell asleep. In 1 Thessalonians 4, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a bodily resurrection coming. And it says that when Luke put that side note, he fell asleep. This is proclaiming the power of Christ to raise him from the dead. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with, him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. This life isn't all there is. This life isn't the big hubbub that we think it is. There's a lot of wonderful things in this life. 
A lot of great things to do. A lot of things to be involved with as believers. But this isn't it. This isn't the it of everything. There's way more to come. And what's to come is way greater than here. The point of this message, a faithful witness proclaims him who is seated at the right hand of God. A Christian is someone who preaches Christ. But we don't do that all the time, do we? But we can get better at it. We can get better at it. In eternity, we see Jesus as our Creator. All things were created by Him. I'm just about to close here. All things were created by Him and for Him and through Him. In His birth, we find our significance. If you're looking for some significance in your life, what's life got in store for me? Younger people, you might be asking, what has God got in store for me in my life? If you're looking for significance in life, you can find it no place else other than in Jesus. Patrick, you gave testimony to that this morning with regard to what you share with your children. They need to find their fullness in Christ before they find a spouse. To try to find fullness in a spouse apart from Christ is disaster. Hey? We find our significance in His birth. The virgin shall be with child and will give Him the name Emmanuel. What does the name Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. When Jesus came, it was God dwelling, tabernacling among us. To answer Solomon's question, will God really dwell on the earth? Why did Solomon ask that? Why would the God of all creation come and dwell down here among us? Why would He do that? Reminded of that hymn, I really like heaven came down and glory filled my soul when at the cross my Savior made me whole. In eternity we see Him as our Creator. In His birth we find our significance. In His life He is our example. In His death He is our Redeemer. In His resurrection we find our hope. In His ascension He is our mediator, our advocate before God. 1 John 2.1 My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We don't have any righteousness of our own. All of our righteousness is bound up in Him. All of it. All of our righteousness. All of our righteous works all of our righteous deeds, any righteous thought you ever had, it's because of Him. It's because of Him. And in the future, He's going to be sent by the Father to bring us home to Himself. Let's close. Heavenly Father, I pray that You bless this word to Your people's hearts. Father, help us to be faithful witnesses for Jesus. We all won't be martyred as Stephen was, Lord, but help us to be faithful in the lives that we have to live. Help us to be better witnesses for Christ. Help us to be a, an aroma pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.